Welcome to Conversations in Equine Science. My name is Kate Acton and I'm joined by Nancy McLean and this is the podcast where we take equine research and try and make it accessible to horse owners and enthusiasts alike. Remember that with each topic we discuss it's important to get professional advice before implementing any of the strategies. This week, Nancy and I are looking at a paper that is titled Force and Pressure Distribution Beneath a Conventional Dressage Saddle and a Treeless Dressage Saddle with Panels. And this is a paper by Hilary M. Clayton, Catherine A. O'Connor and Leanne J. Kaiser. And it was originally published in um, 2013. So the objective of the study was to compare the forces and the pressure profiles beneath two saddles. So our conventional dressage saddle that has a beechwood spring tree and a treeless dressage saddle that didn't have that rigid internal support, but it did incorporate large panets, panels and a gullet. I don't think I'm going to get any of my words out right this evening. <laughs> um, to compensate for not having the tree. So the null hypothesis was that there is no difference in the force and pressure variables for the two saddles. Six horses were ridden by the same rider using the conventional dressage saddle and the treeless dressage saddle in a random order. And the pressure data was then recorded using an electronic pressure mat as the horses trotted in a straight line. So, what they did find, they were hoping that they would find there was no difference, but what they did find was the contact area and force variables did not differ between saddles, but the maximal pressure, mean pressure and area pressure were actually higher in the treeless dressage saddle. So the panels of the treeless dressage saddle provided contact area and force distribution that was comparable to a conventional tree saddle but the high pressure areas were a consequence of that narrow gullet and the highly sloped panels. And from this, basically, the study has concluded that even with a treeless saddle, the size, shape, angulation and position of the panels must fit the individual horse, which ties into, I would say, every episode Nancy and I have done on saddle fitting, that it really is individual. There is no one size fits all when it comes to horses. No, and saddle fitting is so complicated. You want what you say to one person will not apply to another because it's just the variables are huge. And you know, this article talks about that saddles have been used since seven to eight hundred BC. And you know what? we still don't have it right because it's just every horse is just slightly different and in this treeless version this article or um, paper has such great photos of both saddles and those panels in the treeless saddle come up so high it's almost like they form a tree so even though there's not solid substance like the beech wood in there. And then what happens with a tree frame 
is that they attach these spring-loaded um, pieces of metal sometimes, um, sometimes polymer, and sometimes aluminum even. And those springs is what makes that tree flexible. Well, in this instance, those panels were forming a tree and they said the whole saddle was flexible, but in reality, mm -hmm. I think those panels were somewhat rigid because the high pressure areas were in the withers and then along the medial back uh, of the horse, back by the cantle, um, those panels underneath. And at one point you could see the panel digging into the pressure mat. So um, this was a, a good um, research project because they took the stirrups off as well. So the same rider, you had seven horses to begin with, but one 16-year-old gelding, bless his heart, he would not go in the treeless saddle and he bucked the rider off. So that tells you everything right there. Um, I was going to say probably a chestnut, but I, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> we shouldn't judge. <laughs> That's but right. yeah, they did. They said that obviously that treeless saddle was pinching more on his withers because of the rider's weight causing it to kind of squeeze in at the front. Um, and he just wasn't tolerating that. And I thought that was really great. Like, obviously not really great, but really great to see in the paper because it's, again, just underlying that force that it's, you know, not one size fits all. And this really brought me back to the episodes that we did with Dr. Cheryl King and um, talking about misinformation in the horse world and how it can be really easy to jump on a bandwagon and think we're using something that might be kinder um or that might be you know more welfare friendly and at the end of the day like we have to take the individual into account for it the other thing that kind of stuck out to me as well was the weight of the saddles because you would imagine taking the tree out of the saddle would make the saddle lighter but the treeless saddle was actually heavier so the conventional saddle weighs 6.8 kilos and um, and the treeless saddle weighed 7.2, which mightn't seem like a massive difference, but it is almost half a kilo extra in the saddle um, weight. I can't convert that to pounds. I should really be more prepared for these episodes. Well, I don't know, Nancy, if you have a rough idea. I think it would be about uh, 15 pounds or more for the treeless and then just under 15 pounds for the treat saddle. And that's how, why I thought maybe those panels were somewhat rigid because mm -hmm. that added weight to it. And they made the gullet so narrow that uh, when the person sat on that and the weight distributed, those panels actually came in a little closer in some instances. And then like during the trot, um, they were go they would go wider so there was no stability there on that gullet and so often gullets can be too narrow and then when you go into a turn that area can definitely impede that spinal process and get on top of that bone now these strides it was 10 strides all in a straight line. So they weren't doing any curves or turning or anything, but the pressure mat 
would measure um, the pressure areas in kilopascals, and they recommend about under 11 kilopascals, and then uh, it prevents muscle injury or lack of blood flow to those muscles. That's what causes pressure points that are painful and other back issues when saddles don't fit correctly. So that is the threshold that they're now recommending. I wish I could get a hold of a pressure mat because I would really have a good day of just assessing all my saddle fitting because so many of these were fine standing Mm -hmm. square. And Kate, I'm, I'm forgetting how many uh, minutes did they have them stand square? It was listed, but at any rate, yeah, off the top of my head, I don't have it. Um, I'll find it. But what they did was there were no differences at the standing. Still, it's when a horse goes into motion, the, and I know I've said this many times on different episodes. But when it, the horse goes into motion with that rider, that's when your static saddle fitting goes out the window. And yeah. that was shown in this study, because even the horse that bucked the rider off was fine standing still. It's when they would go into the trot. And I thought they explained really good about the trotting and how it's... Um, Oh, symmetrical. And so you've got, um, and they, they were at a sitting trot, but it still, the forces went left, right, left, right, left, right. And on that pressure mat. And so ideally your left and right should be equal and equal one another. And um, I thought that's a great point they make that even maybe some of us, when we're doing trot work, um, the saddle may slip to the right or mm-hmm. left, then you know you're being unequal because the pressure's higher to the way the saddle is shifting. So, and you know, hind end lameness could be figured into that as well. But it's a good article for giving you little guidelines in your saddle fitting as it pertains to the gates. Yeah, and tightening that girth isn't a solution yeah. for saddle slip. Because you're increasing that force beneath the saddle as you increase the girth tightness and you cause a whole host of other injuries with over tightening girths. So it really is rider fitness is a big part that needs to come into it as well. So, you know, the saddle really is one element, but it's what we're doing on their back. And they did point out that this rider did ride symmetrically. And they actually gave the riders stats. So their age, height, weight. And when I was looking at it, I was thinking, I'm I'm taller, not significantly taller, but probably t- enough taller than this rider. And I weigh more than this rider. That what impact would I have when, you know, I consider the fact that I have typically ridden ponies in the past and I was this height since I was 14. So not a lot will have changed since then. So it really does kind of bring that element back in where we discussed in an episode before about riders in the saddle and where, you know, we're having to get those longer saddles, which cause problems as well. And we need to make sure we're pairing up properly with the horse. 
Um, but when we looked at this and it talks about riding symmetrically, like riding without stirrups is a great way to build up that kind of fitness and to stop relying on the stirrups holding you in place and putting pressure in each stirrup to try and right yourself. So I think bringing back in elements of groundwork and dressage work into your riding lessons and building up your fitness alongside the horse's fitness and conditioning too is just so vital. Every horse, I guess, acclimates better to certain panels. Um, You have some that may have, I don't know, maybe a short back. Then you might want to try a banana panel and that those just kind of come up towards the cantle. Other horses, and I, I find I like the pedestal panel the best because they kind of jut out and then come in and they, they look like they have a foundation or like um, they're, they're wider at the bottom where mm-hmm. the horse's back can kind of lift into them. And I find pedestal panels work the best with my thoroughbreds. And so those little nuances of the parts of the saddle really do make a difference. And there's even a hoop tree saddle that instead of being the A-frame type tree above the withers, you have an inverted U-shape. And then the points of those A-frame type trees aren't digging into maybe a wider shouldered horse. So the hoop tree kind of gives you a wider saddle. And especially that works great on ponies, our horses that tend to gain a little weight throughout the summer. So um, I had never really looked at them until I got a pony and, um, you know, she does okay in the traditional A-frame tree, but if she was any wider than what she is, I would definitely probably try a hoop tree. And a lot of tax shops will give you the saddles to have on loan. You just have to leave a credit card and make sure, or a number, credit card number, and make sure that uh, you return it in the same shape that they gave it to you in. So um, I really think it's just a matter of trying saddles and um, trying to muddle through the geometries of your horse. You know, that- and where you aren't experienced with it, definitely reaching out to a proper saddle fitter and getting some advice. Yep. Yeah. And I wanted to say an interesting component of this was, um, oh, it was the front to rear force distribution patterns. So like the treeless saddle, your uh, front force was 38, your middle was 42 and then your rear was 20 percent so they broke it down front middle rear of each saddle and then at the conventional saddle your forces were 41 39 and then 20 percent so the same in the back of the saddle yet that pressure maximum mean Mm -hmm. pressure was more in the treeless saddle. So your um, force distribution really was comparable between both. It's that pressure and that pressure entered in at the trot. 
So that just shows you how, again, static saddle fitting, you just can't do it because everything changes yeah. once you go into motion. It's just the whole shape of their body that moves too. And I think you said it really well right at the beginning, Nancy, when you said, you know, saddles have been around since eight, what, 700, 800 BC. Yeah. And we still haven't nailed it. Like we, we haven't really seemed to come up with, to my knowledge, anything that's been groundbreaking. Um, it is, it's just so specific to each horse. Yeah, and then also I came across a term that for the Icelandic horses, and um, they did a study on treeless saddles cushioned for Icelandic horses, and this included the rider having stirrups, and that those horses, which they're kind of draft style horses, had the majority of force under the front third of the saddle when walking and tolting. Now, I had never heard that term before, but that is like a four beat fast walk and kind of like a Pasofino horse would do. Mm -hmm. I had to go on YouTube and watch an Icelandic horse do tolting. And it was amazing that even on, you know, racing horses, Icelandic horses, but the racing horses with stirrups loaded more in the rear third as well. So I thought that was, um, you know, here the Icelandic horse front third, the race horse, the back third, Every breed and its structure is different. is different. Yeah, you can't judge, you know, you can't judge or guess. It's just got, you have to look at it and look at the, the research and the numbers. And then you've got to go out and try it for yourself because underneath the saddle fits the horse. The top of the saddle fits the rider. And just as all the horses are different and have different outcomes. So do all the riders. I mean, some have shorter legs, longer torsos. I mean, and it all has to deal with how the seat bones and the gravity pulls those seat bo bones into the saddle. And then you add your legs into stirrups. So it, it's a mathematical equation that you just have to work at. It's like a Sudoku puzzle, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think I'd prefer a Sudoku puzzle. I know. But anyway, um, I loved it that Esther requested this. And I knew through other research that treeless saddles had come up having higher pressure, but I didn't know why and I didn't know the dynamics behind it. Now, this research is not open access, but you'll be able to read the abstract and look at the tables and the photos. And I, really, when I first looked at the photos, I couldn't tell the difference between the tree dressage saddle and the treeless because they had those panels so uh, mimicking a tree. So, uh, and also I wanted to say there's a big difference between beechwood uh, tree, you know, type structures and polymer structures. 
So I probably prefer myself the polymer treed saddles because it's a little bit more flexible and it's less likely to crack and be damaged over time. Whereas the treed saddles, you really have to be careful buying an old wooden treed saddle because if that tree is cracked, there's nothing you can do to fix that saddle, mm -hmm. to make it usable. That's a great point. Secondhand yeah. sometimes is more accessible and also you feel like you're doing a little bit better for the environment with it too but just make sure that it's still quality what you're buying. Yeah. And yeah. again, you're still taking that big risk that it's not going to fit irregardless. Yeah. And that I think this whole paper does point out that, Hey, if it's not shaped to fit your horse, it's not going to work whether there's a tree in there or not. So uh, it's not a one size fits all saddle ever, you, you know, and sometimes they have the removable gullets on saddles that you can adjust mm -hmm. eyes. And even those over time, the forces of riding, um, what did they say, Kate? Like a person at trot doubles the amount of weight during trot. So if the rider's 140 pounds, the amount of pressure during trot would be 280 pounds 280 pounds so over time anything that's removable and not one piece or not uh you know uh that you have to tighten with an allen wrench or something over yeah. time, it's gonna fail because of the forces so you have to be really careful even on those removable gullets because um there's a lot of pressure and forces going on during riding I think that's a great point. Um, I think it was just really interesting. So this was a 2013 paper and we will keep an eye out for any updates, you know, over the next little while to see if any more research is maybe in the works, because I think that's always the exciting thing too, is that we can build upon it. Um, but it's it's been a really interesting read. And as Nancy said, it's not open access, unfortunately but um, you can reach out to us and we can help you with any questions you might have um, around it. I would say Nancy is definitely um, more of the saddle fitter expertise now out of the two of us, but we'll do our best to guide you in the right way and give you a little bit of help if we can. Yeah, and I'm, I, as I get older, I just realize the horse will tell you, you know, you mm -hmm. we we can dot every I, cross every T, but once you're taking into account motion and body changes in the horse and the rider, I mean, you just have to keep an eye on behavior too. So don't forget about that pain ethogram that we did of the ridden horse because mm -hmm. that be little subtle uh, clues that maybe something's changing with your saddle fit or lameness issues with your horse that are very subtle. I will add that they did do a lameness exam on the horses in this study and everyone was under one uh, of the AAEP's um, lameness uh, scale. So um, none of these horses had any noticeable lamenesses. So a uh, pretty good study. I would, uh, I'll put the link on the homepage and I wanted to say, 
Uh, Kate and I are glad to be back. We took a little bit of a break because we had some research um, that needed our attention. So uh, thanks for the emails and all the communications um, that you were wondering if we were okay. And yep, we just got tied up <laughs> writing and and rewriting and we're still editing, but uh, we miss doing this. So, um, you know, thanks Kate for joining in today and uh, send us the research. We have a couple weeks of research uh, in the works. And uh, so get them in and we'll, we'll line them up and we'll do whatever you want to hear about. Yeah. Thank you everyone for, um, the concern it was really lovely it's nice to know that people are um, listening every week tentatively and were missing us last week when we weren't here and um, so thank you as well Nancy for I suppose um doing the solo episode I should say the week before that as well it's we've just had a busy spring so far but we're getting back and it's so lovely to actually be back having these conversations again. You really miss it when a week goes by. Yep, I think uh, we're glad to be back. So we'll see everybody next week and uh, keep the research coming in. Brilliant. Thanks, Nancy. Take care. Thank you, Kate. Bye-bye.